Welcome to River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we strive to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson takes us through Romans 4, verses 18 through 25. When we stand on these three concepts, whatever you face, whatever the odds, whatever you need God to do in you, for you, or through you, you can confess with confidence, God is able. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship, go to rfamarillo.org. This morning, I want to start a new little mini-series um, around a central theme. We'll look at a variety of passages and applications that, regarding this theme, but the central theme and the title of the message is the song we just sang, God is Able. My desire through this little mini-series is that whatever you're facing, whatever you're encountering, whatever you come up against, however uh, negative the odds are against you, whatever you need God to do in you, whatever you need God to do for you, whatever you need God to do through you, you will be able to confess with confidence, God is able. Amen. Let me invite you to turn to Romans chapter four. Starting next week, we'll get into some very specific things that God is able to do. But this morning, I just want to lay the framework. I want to lay the groundwork and the foundation for this concept that God is able. And we'll start here in Romans chapter four, laying some of that foundation. We'll pick it up in verse 18. It's a part of the story of Abraham. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. He was an old coot. And Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The key passage for laying this foundation this morning is verse 21. Being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Got a little tripod here that I wanna use for illustration, so let me set it up for you. Let me pull this leg out. Okay. Ready? Okay, doesn't work. Why not? Well, I guess we need to pull out the second leg. Hang on. We good now? Okay, still not going to stand. Why not? Well, it's called a tripod. (laughs) So why is it called a tripod? Well, it has three legs. So what we see with the tripod is once you get all three legs going, now you've got your tripod. The stability and the strength 
And the usability of the tripod depends on the fact that all three legs are in place and standing. It's, it doesn't work on one leg or two legs. You have to have all three legs. Now, this is the principle of what we're going to look at in this passage for the framework of God is able. There are three important concepts. There are three essential concepts for this principle that God is able to work in our life. And all three of these concepts are essential. Either one of these, these concepts being missing, it's going to fall just like the tripod's going to fall. So let's look at those three. Here's the first one. God is able stands on God's power. Look in verse 21, it's our main verse, that he had power to do. As we go through the series in different passages, you'll see uh, English words like power and enable and able. In the Greek, there are different words like dunamis and dunamai and dunatos. All of those come from one root word. And the root is all the same. And the root has to deal with this concept of miraculous power, supernatural power, explosive power, an unlimited kind of power. Some of you may remember several months ago when I illustrated I had the firecracker and I put it underneath the plastic cup. I lit the firecracker and it exploded uh, and threw the, the cup up four or five feet in the air. I was illustrating dunamis power at that time. It's an explosive kind of power. But that it's also a kind of power that is innate and inherent within that individual. In other words, when we talk about God's explosive power, he's not dependent on any other resource for that power. He gains that power totally in and of himself. But it's also a kind of power that has to be displayed. And he displays his power in his mighty acts. For example, the power of creation is one example. The power to bring into existence something that does not exist. The power of resurrection is an example. To take that person who is dead and raise them physically to life. The power of healings that we, that we saw in Jesus in the, in the gospels. The power of uh, over nature, calming the seas. All of these are displays that God shares with us that he has this dynamic, explosive kind of power. And that's the kind of power we're talking about. God is able, stands first on this dynamic of God's power. Philippians 3.21 says it this way. It's talking about the power of Christ. He says, it's the power that enables him to bring everything under control. It's the power that enables God to bring everything under his control. There's nothing that's outside of God's control. There's nothing going on in your life right now that is beyond God's ability to control it. When I was in college, I had a mentor I was able to work with in a church for a few months, and he became a, a friend and mentor over the years, named Steve Moore. He shared a story with me when I was in college. He was, um, before he came to, to be the youth pastor in our church, he was in student ministry, college ministry, had been in missions. He was just, he loved to share Christ. He was this in-your-face kind of evangelist guy. He would share Christ with anybody, everybody, at any time, it didn't matter. And so he, he was uh, um, doing kind of a beach reach kind of deal in California with college students one week during their spring break. And his whole deal, the whole week, was just meeting people on the beach and sharing Christ with them. That's all he did the entire week. Well, during that week, there evidently were some Satanists that were kind of in that dynamic as well. 
And so they began to have some conflict. And so the Satanist periodically would come and give Steve a hard time. And finally, it kind of came to a head during the middle of the week. And they basically said, you need to stop talking about Jesus. And of course, if you knew Steve, that's the last thing he's going to do. So he just, he said, no, kept sharing Christ. And so these Satanists said, okay, if you don't stop sharing Christ tonight, we will kill you. Well, Steve, like I said, he's an in-your-face kind of guy, so he basically said, you know, bring it on. Well, interestingly, that night, he was staying in a kind of a dormish, hotelish kind of room there off the beach. He said it was on the sixth or seventh floor, and he had a roommate uh, in the next bed next to him. He went to sleep that night, woke up sometime in the morning, and he said when he woke up, he just had that feeling, you know, you get somebody's looking at me, somebody's in the room. It was a dark room, but it, the window was open, so you had some, some moonlight coming in. He said he could see these two figures just standing above him at his bed. It was these same two guys. So he looked at his, at his door, his door shut, it's broke, I mean, it's, the, it's bolted, there's no sign of forced entry. So he gets a little freaked out. He looks at his, at his roommate. His roommate wakes up and looks at him and they both are going, okay, what's going on? Well, Steve said, I didn't know what to do, so I just prayed. I just started praying. And so he starts to pray and he said he heard just God's spirit say to him, I've got it under control. Go back to sleep. So he looked at his, his roomie, looked at these guys and said, let's go back to sleep. So he said, he laid his head down, he went back to sleep. He didn't know if he'd wake up dead the next morning or what was going on. Next morning, he wakes up, everything's fine, the guys are gone. So he's talking to his friend the next day, and of course, the very first thing that I said when he's telling me this story is, Steve, he's had a dream. It was a dream. He said, I don't know. He said, I talked to my roommate, and he saw the very same thing I did. So either they both had the same dream at the same time, or something really weird took place. Now, I don't know, I'll let you just kind of play with that this week. But my point that I'm trying to make is what Steve said that God said to him in his spirit. I've got it under control. So just go back to sleep. What that's telling us is God has the power to bring everything under his control. And what that means for us is we can relax. There's no need to worry about things. There's no reason to become fearful about those things that we're encountering because he has the, the ability to keep everything under control. There's not anything you're facing this morning that God can't bring under control. There's not anything you will encounter in the future that God cannot bring under control. God is able, and that first leg of his ability stands on God's power. Here's a second leg. God is able, stands on God's promise. Look back at verse 21 again. God had power to do what he had promised. God has the ability to do what he's promised. It's based on his character and his ability. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He's the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. What we see in this passage and others that God's ability to keep his promises is based both on who he is and what he does. First, this verse tells us that he's true. In other words, it says God is God. What that means is God is real. 
God really does exist. He's not made up. He's not a figment of our imagination. He's not an imaginary superhero. God really does exist. He is true. But secondly, he is truthful. Scripture tells us it's impossible for him to lie. Titus 1-2 says the hope of eternal life that we have in God tells us that and he does not lie. Hebrews 6-18 says it's impossible for God to lie. So we have God here who is true. He really does exist and he is completely truthful, which then tells us that he's trustworthy. In other words, he's gonna do what he says He's going to do because he exists, because he's truthful. Whatever he promises, whatever he says he will do, he will do. You can trust the fact if he said he'll do something in your life, he'll do it. He's completely trustworthy. That's what we see in this passage in Romans with Abraham. It's talking about Abraham. And God proved to Abraham that he was able to fulfill his promise to Abraham. How did he prove it? Well, he fulfilled the promise. And so he proved his ability to keep the promise by actually enabling and fulfilling the promise. And here's a truth that we can think through this morning. A promise without performance is preposterous. A promise without performance is preposterous. In other words, if I make you a promise, but I do not have the ability to keep that promise, I cannot keep that promise, then that promise is no good. The promise is only as good as the promiser. The promises is only as good as the promiser has the ability and power to fulfill the promise that he makes. And that's what we see here with Abraham. God gives Abraham a promise and he displays and demonstrates his ability to fulfill that promise in Abraham's life. And this was a huge promise. We're not talking about just a little bitty. We're talking about you're gonna have a child at 100 years old and you're gonna father a nation. This is a huge promise that God demonstrates first his power And then he ties that in with his promise and fulfills the promise. So we see these two legs taking place. First, that God is able to rest on the leg of God's power and then on God's promise. And here's the third one. God is able stands on being persuaded. Verse 21, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. King James says, being fully persuaded that he was able to do what he promised. Abraham believed, and what's interesting is Abraham believed against all odds. Look in verse 18. It says, against all hope, in hope, he believed. Verse 20 said he did not waver. That word waver means to to dispute, to desert. It means to divide Mentally, divide your mind in half. It means to doubt the reality of. In other words, Abraham never doubted the reality that God was able to do what he promised. Verse 19, that his body was good as dead. Sarah's womb was dead. What we're seeing with Abraham is Abraham was fully aware of every human factor that stood in the way of God fulfilling his promise. But even in the midst of every human factor, he continued to believe that God would fulfill his promise. Now, it's easy to believe a promise of God once he's fulfilled the promise. (laughs) Once he's given you the promise, it's easy to say, yeah, I believed it all along. It's something entirely different to be unwaveringly, unwavering in our belief 
that God's gonna fulfill a promise before he fulfills the promise. But what we see here with Abraham is Abraham believed it. He was persuaded even before it became a reality in his life. And that's part of this foundation, this third leg, is that we're fully persuaded. Now in verse 23 and 24, we see good news for us because he's talking about a story of Abraham. But then now he comes and says, this is not just for Abraham. This isn't just a story of what God will do in Abraham's life. This is a story about what God will do in every single person's life. Every one of us who are in Christ and who know Christ, the same promise and the same reality is true. That we can be fully persuaded that God is, has the power to do what he's promised. Now here's a side note. God is able to do and to fulfill his promise, even if we don't believe it. God is able, whether we believe that or not, his ability is not dependent upon our belief. But it doesn't impact our life. It doesn't manifest in our life. It doesn't pay any dividends in our life. It doesn't apply to our situation until we are fully persuaded. I must be fully persuaded that he has the power. We see this in Matthew chapter nine. I invite you to, to look at that with me. Matthew chapter nine, we see a story here of what it looks like to be fully persuaded and why it's important to be fully persuaded. Matthew chapter nine, we pick it up in verse 27. It's a story about two blind men. Verse 27 says, as Jesus went on from there, my first question is, from where? Where's he coming on from? Well, if you look at the previous verses, we see the story where Jesus uh, is going to a ruler's house. His daughter has died, and so Jesus is going to take care of that situation. On the way, though, a woman with a bleeding issue comes and wants some healing, and so Jesus takes out some time, and he ministers to that woman, takes care of that healing, and then he continues to the ruler's house. He gets in the ruler's house, and he raises the daughter from the dead. So that's the context. So right after that, verse 27, as Jesus went from there, from that house, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. Now with these two blind men, we don't know much about them. Uh, we don't know when they got connected with Jesus. Maybe they were with Jesus when he was walking to the ruler's house. He was part of that crowd that saw the healing with the woman and they were with him that whole time. Maybe not. Maybe they were citizens in that town. And so when Jesus got to the ruler's town and house, they heard about it. Maybe they heard about the story of the risen daughter. Maybe, we don't know. All we can, can surmise is they knew something. They had heard something about this Jesus. Enough that caused them to want to follow him and ask this question or make this statement, have mercy on us, son of David. So verse 28, said when Jesus had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and Jesus asked them this question. Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. It's interesting on the procedure Jesus didn't just walk in and touch them and heal them. He asked a question first. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? 
Then once they responded, yes, we are fully persuaded that you have the power. After they respond, then he touches them, their sight's restored, and says, Jesus warned them sternly. Here's another funny part of the story to me. Jesus warned them sternly. See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. This is a funny story to me. If you put yourself in this situation, because this is a real story, okay? This isn't this make-believe. This is a real event. It really happened. So if you put yourself in that setting, you're one of the blind men. Can you imagine being blind probably from life? Maybe not. Maybe a, a disease or a, an injury caused their blindness. We don't know. But they've been blind for a long time. They can't see anything. Can you imagine what goes on in their heart, in their life, in their spirit when instantaneously they're able to see? Can you imagine how excited, how fired up, how in awe, how in wonder they would be when that happens? What are they going to do? Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Are you kidding me? What are you going to do? The first thing you're going to do is run out and say, I can see. Why? Because you are so fired up about this change that God has made in your life. Now, why did Jesus tell them not to share? I have no idea. Was it not his time? He didn't want information? I don't, I don't know why he said, don't, don't share. But there's no way they weren't going to share because of what God has done in his life. How could someone have that kind of a radical change and not go out and, and be the first thing they do is share? Well, as I applied that to our life today, my life, believers' lives all over the world, those of us that have experienced life change, we've been snatched from death to life. We've been snatched from darkness into light. We've been snatched from hell into heaven. We've had our sins forgiven. We've been made new. We've been cleansed. We've been made right with the righteousness of Christ. God has done a miracle in us in Christ far greater than the sight of the blind man. But do we go out and just shout and share our faith? Some do, some don't. But I was thinking about this passage. I thought, wouldn't it be incredible if we shared Christ to such an extent, we were so in awe, we were so amazed, we were so excited and fired up about what Christ has done in our life that we're sharing Christ with so many people that Jesus and his spirit would have to come to us and say, hey, quit telling people about Jesus. <laughs> you need to settle down a little bit. You need to calm down a little bit. Wouldn't that be crazy? Jesus had to tell the blind men, don't tell anyone and they still went and told everyone. Sometimes Jesus is telling us, go share. And we say, no, thank you. Wouldn't it be cool if Jesus had to calm us down a little bit because we were so fired up? That's free. Let me get back to verse 28, which is our point. Jesus asked them this question. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they respond, yes. I wonder what would happen if they'd have said, mm, uh, not really. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm gonna ask you anyway, but I, I don't have much hope. What would have happened? I, I don't know. We don't know. Because they were fully persuaded. And so we saw what happened. But my question for you is this, this morning. 
Do you have a this? God asked the blind men, do you believe I'm able to do this? And for the blind men, their this was to have their sight restored, was to see again. That was their this. Do you have a this today? The this is that thing that appears to be against all hope, like Abraham. This is that thing that seems to be impossible for God to do, like bring sight to a blind man. Is there something in your life? Is there something going on? Is there a situation? Is there a circumstance that has seemed so overwhelming, so discouraging? Do you need God to do something in your life that from our perspective seems miraculous because it seems like the odds are against us? Do you have a this? And if you do, do you believe he's able to handle your this? Do you believe God has the power? Do you believe God will fulfill his promise? Are you fully persuaded that he can meet your this? One last side note. We're talking about being persuaded in belief, but my belief cannot bring into existence something God has not promised. Okay? There is a theology out there that's a name it, claim it theology that says I can just pluck stuff out of the air and just say, I want this, so God has to fulfill it. He's obligated to fulfill it. If he hadn't promised it, he's not obligated to do anything. That's, we're not talking about, I want something, so I'm just going to claim it. We're talking about promises in God's word, things that he's promised us that we'll get into later. So my faith cannot create promises of God, but my lack of faith can negate the manifestations of the promises of God. Now, my faith can't negate the promises of God, God's promises are true and real whether I believe it. My faith doesn't negate the promise. My lack of faith negates the manifestation of the promises of God in my life. So all that brings us to the place. Do you have this? If so, do you believe God is able? Maybe you have a friend that has a this. Like those four friends that had a crippled friend that put him on a mat and threw him through the roof down to Jesus. These guys were friends with somebody that had a this, and so they were used by God to help that person's this. Maybe you don't have a this today, but maybe you have a friend who has a this, and God would say, would you be my instrument to intervene on that person's behalf? We sang the song this morning. God is able. That's a truth we're going to try to confirm and confess for the next several weeks. God is able. If we'll stand on his power, if we'll stand on his promise, and if we'll be fully persuaded, he's able. Would you bow with me? Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.